stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I've invited Kevin Cook, Zach's senior stock strategist, back to the Market Edge to talk about one of our favorite topics. When do you sell a stock? We last talked about this topic, it turns out, in January of this year, 2021. That was just eight months ago, but it's coming up again because of this little pullback that we've seen, well, we had seen in the big cap indexes, but really it's come back because we did have a 10% correction in the small caps. So people getting a little nervous and they started tweeting at me, Tracy, when do I sell? What do I do? Please inform. And they might not have been around for the January 2021 podcast. And some of the things have changed a little bit since that podcast, I must say. Since then, the S&P 500 has made record highs 49 times. And here on August 24th, it's looking like 50 times since we last talked about this. And dozens of other stocks are still hitting their new highs. Um, We've seen some of the rallies from last year continue into this year. Just a couple that are reporting earnings this week. Dick's Sporting Goods, DKS is the ticker. It's up another 95% year to date. That's just this year in 2021. Burlington Stores, another hot one. It's up 32% year to date, but it's up 338% over the last five years. Now, remember, the S&P 500 has also been hot over the last five years, but that's up only 103 or 104%. So Burlington stores almost tripling the return of the S&P 500 over the last five years. And then, of course, we have some of the FANG names busting out again to new highs. Alphabet is up 61% year-to-date at new highs. And so that's one of the hottest of the fangs. So here we are back again, Kevin, talking about what to do, should we sell, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that about uh, Burlington. Yeah. But do they have some great online strategy that, that exploded too? Or? Well, no, their online strategy is horrible. Okay, wow. Stores, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's an amazing one. Yeah. You know, um, I went back and listened to our January 6th podcast. Oh, let me see what you titled it. Should you sell your big winner stocks? Okay. Was, was the title you gave it uh, from January 6th of this year. Yeah. And um, it was it was a good discussion because we we uh, talked about a lot of different stocks, but we also talked about general principles. And yes. and our main thing is is always you know, before you sell a stock, you know, revisit why you bought it in the first place. You know, what was your goal and what was your time frame? And um, and w- one of the things that, that I want to add to that, and I think people should go back and listen to that one because we're, we're not going to, we're obviously not going to review all the lessons in there. But one yeah. thing I want to add is that w- when you do buy a stock and you have this thesis and let's say you, you think it's a disruptor, whether it's you know Tesla or Nvidia or uh, Peloton or some software stock. Um, once you're invested, you tend to do more research and your, your antenna or your radar are, are tuned to all different sorts of news about that industry and the competition. And 
you know, your thesis is allowed to evolve. You're going to learn more. So it um, it, it turns out that I've, I've initially bought stocks without fully understanding that industry and then, you know, watched them go higher and and decided to keep them because I learned more about that industry and their their place in it. Um, you know, so so you grow as an investor too with your stocks, so to speak, and and your thesis may become more. Uh, you may have end up with more conviction or less, but um, you know, it's the the learning curve aspect to me is is what I didn't talk about then, and uh, you know, especially if you're if you're if you if you didn't understand how, uh, for instance, uh, Nvidia could grow into some giant total addressable market <laughs> and then all of a sudden you learn how they could then you're like whoa i never want to sell this stock <laughs> yeah nvidia is up 67 percent year to date now in full disclosure i did own nvidia in the insider trader i think we bought about in november of last year 2020 and because one of the directors was buying around $500 that was pre-split, obviously. And so we were in it, we were in it, but that's a short-term hold in there of one to three months. But I was patient. We we stayed in, we stayed in past the three months. I think it was like four, maybe even five months, but we just couldn't hang on much. It was like up and down and under where we entered and we were in the red and so I end up, I end up selling it, Kevin. We we got out, and then it soared. <laughs> then it took off again. So, yeah, yeah. You you had to endure a big sideways period there for the yeah. stock from, you know, basically from last summer um, into the into this spring. You know, a good nine months of just going sideways, and that was a period where, where I was actually the opposite. I was like, this is great. <laughs> we want to we want to be buyers here every time it gets near uh, 500. Uh, and that was before the split, yes. split four for one. Um, and uh, just because my analysis was that the company was was sort of undervalued in terms of its real potential, because everybody thought it thinks of it as a hardware company that makes chips. Yeah, they make fancy chips for games and for and for data centers and all this talk of artificial intelligence. But it's really a software company too. So yeah. because of, because of what they embed in these stacks of hardware and software. So in my full disclosure, I will admit that I recently took some profits on Nvidia. <laughs> and oh. and in retrospect, maybe a little maybe a little foolishly, a little early. Uh, because I thought we had a, we had sort of reached a uh, a maturity in the company um, where everybody finally caught on. So while while people were ignoring the stock, and and now I'll, instead of talking about pre-split, I'll talk about actual split prices. So it seemed like everybody was sort of ignoring the stock at $130 last year, you know, when you bought, right. and and then. You know, then they start to catch on. Yeah, this is this company's a real force, and they keep beating and raising every quarter. So after the last beat and raise, which was let me take a look here, um, August 18th, I believe. Yeah. Um, this, you know, the stock. I said, okay, it's it's going to bump up against these old highs here of like 209 and 207, 
And I said, you know what? We've got most of what we wanted here. So let's just take a little bit, you know, and I really only trimmed like less than uh, 30% of what I had. Um, and it, in, in some ways it was a message to my, to my followers and my members in Taser Trader that, that they should think about it too. Maybe take a little bit, but I was also being a little bit too cute because I was trying to call a short-term top like it wouldn't get through uh, 207, 208, and we'd be able to buy it back when the market dipped this fall. We'd be able to buy it back at, at 175, 180. Well, <laughs> like the day after I, I think I sold uh, on Friday at uh, you know 205 or something or 206, you know, it's it just vaulted. Yeah. Uh, the you know since then and. Uh, traded as high as 220. So, you know, the good news is, is I only took a little bit of profits and it was from, you know, pandemic lows last year when the stock was $50. So we took like 285% gains on a tiny piece. And yeah, we, we talked about this on the last episode we did on this about no, no, this is just a, a small portion. Oh of, yeah. Take, taking a piece. Right. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah. It does. And it, what's funny is, though, is people will say, Kevin, I thought you said um, always buy NVIDIA, never sell NVIDIA. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's probably that's probably is my rule be, just because they they will dominate in so many of these areas with the hardware and software stack. Um, but, you know, that that's what it is. At least we're it, and sometimes it gives you a chance to reevaluate the thesis, too. It makes you look harder at um because for NVIDIA, the big story is, is that the, the data center and artificial intelligence aspects are going to overtake the gaming. You know, gaming has always been, you know, 60% of the business, and then it's 55% of the business. Well, pretty soon this year, it's going to flip where uh, data center applications will be half of the business, and they will overtake gaming in the next three years. Yeah, I did not want to sell NVIDIA out of the insider trader, but because it is a short-term hold portfolio and um, I wanted to move other things in and we had held it longer than we normally hold. I did tell the subscribers that, you know, if they're long-term investors, they should hold on to it. So I'm hopeful that some yeah. who <laughs> were in it and, and maybe that follow your portfolio as well and you were in it, you know, that they stayed in it and were able to capture a lot of the upside that has happened on that one. Um, but let's switch over to another stock that had huge upside in our January uh, podcast, but it's basically gone nowhere. So it's kind of reflecting what NVIDIA did for those nine months when it went nowhere, and that's Tesla. What's going on there Shares are around 700. They traded as high as 900. They're up maybe like 1% for the year. As the S&P 500 keeps hitting those new highs, it's really underperforming for this year. Of course, it crushed it last year. But if you were a new investor who decided to buy in you know, earlier this year, you, you've gone nowhere. So what, what does an investor do with something like a Tesla? Yeah, I mean... Uh... You know, as you pointed out, the the big gains happened last year, where it where it was just like a, you know, all this pent up energy just, you know, catapulted the stock higher, um, as the sh the short thesis got destroyed, and and the the bulls got joined. You know, I uh, last time I talked about uh, Bailey and Kathy, 
two of the biggest bulls in Tesla, and that's that's Bailey Gifford, the Scottish uh, investment fund managing well over 250 billion, and then Kathy Wood of Ark Invest. Um, both, you know, the two biggest bulls on Tesla with huge positions that they had to trim because their profits were so big, yeah. and you know they're they're sitting pretty because they still want to own the stock for another five to ten years. Right. Right. Yeah. For new investors getting in at, let's say you bought at 800 during sort of the, the melt up, um, yeah. at the beginning of the year, 800 to 900. Yeah. You're, you might be sitting for a while. Well, <laughs> with, uh, you know, with that open loss as the stock consolidates and finds its next, its next sort of catalyst, you know, is it going to be, is it going to be, um, you know, new models or, uh, you know, increased sales or new, you know, the cyber truck. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be. I, I sometimes I think um, Elon is is trying to juggle too many plates, though, you know, so he yeah. just this weekend he rolls out the the uh, the robot. And, and then it turns out it was a, you know, a human in a costume. So <laughs> it's, it's almost like he's making fun of himself again. Right. Um, you know, when is it coming? And the cyber truck is getting delayed. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, his core business really is is selling cars, you know, these sort of luxury cars e as EVs. And maybe if he stuck to that, um, but in, investors have lost no faith. So I can't really, you know, if you've been an investor for for even two years, um, you know, hats off to you for sticking with Elon. Yeah, he's getting a lot of competition now, I feel, in his core business. So we'll see how that turns out. <laughs> what about Amazon? That's another one that's kind of just doing nothing. It's up 1.5% year to date. It did see the big surge last year, but now everybody's kind of soured on it, but it's not declining either. It's just kind of hanging out. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's sort of the the institution stocks, right? It's yeah. you know who can afford to buy it at uh, thirty three hundred dollars. Right. Um, so it uh, if it dips below three thousand, I'm sure large investors will be coming to buy it just as you know as something they have to own. And uh, I recently just did a um, a series of videos and podcasts and articles on ESG investing. Okay. And was surprised to see how, you know, Apple and Amazon are the top weightings in so many ESG funds. So yes. it's like they've gotten an extra boost from that for somehow, you know, scoring high marks <laughs> for environment, social and governance. Right. And uh, and that just, you know, that just feeds the the big cap tech concentration that we see in among institutional portfolios. What about some of these big other big pandemic winners like a uh, couple that we talked about last time, Chewy.com, CHWI is the ticker. It soared last year because they do online, you know, pet supply sales and everybody was staying home. Nobody wanted to go anywhere. So they had big gains, but shares are up just 1.3% year to date. And interestingly, in, on the January 6th podcast, we did talk about the stock turning over at that point. So we, we kind of called that one. But there's Chewy, there's Zoom Video we talked about last time. That's up only 0.3% year to 
year to date. Peloton, we didn't talk about it, but we should have. Uh, Peloton is now down 26% year to date, but still has a 55% gain um, over the last year still, even with the decline this year. But everybody thinks Peloton, Chewy, some of these names, you know, this is peak earnings. When will it ever get as good as 2020 again? Right, right. Right? Sort of like your Pinterest, right? Pinterest had this outsized year of 2020, and then they had to explain, hey, things aren't going to be as great as they were last year. Right. They actually warned and tried to warn people that their huge subscriber gains wouldn't stick around, you know, going forward because the economy was reopening and people would have better things to do except just pinning all day. But some of these others, I haven't really heard them warning at all about about that. It's yeah. Pinterest was one of the few that tried to, you know, tell it like it was going to be. Um, I did see PetMed Express. I don't know if you know them. They're an online pet pharmacy. They have come out now in their in their um, earnings reports recently and said, basically, things are never going to be as good <laughs> as what it was <laughs> in 2020 because the vets basically shut down or you didn't want right. to go to a vet. And right. so to get your your medications and things for your pet, you you went on pet med, but then once everything started reopening, everybody went back to the vet and then the vet sometimes sells the medication on their own as well. So then you don't even need to order it online at all. So they admit that they people yeah. went back to the vets and you know sales declined. That's unusual for a company to admit they're a one hit wonder. <laughs> I know. So we are seeing a couple. Um, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Peloton. I just want to talk about them for a second because like back in January, we talked about Chewy and Zoom and I wasn't crazy about either of them just because I didn't think that they had, um, um, I didn't think they had strong enough brands to make a difference. Like anybody could go into the pet delivery space and there were plenty of free options for video conferencing. You didn't need Zoom. So I didn't like either of those, but, but my mind is sort of evolved to Peloton as a very unique brand that is winning hearts and minds um, in terms of giving people this incredible, um, you know, accessible workout experience anywhere they want. And um, so it seems like it, it, it had it. It seems like more of a disruptor than anything that Zoom or Chewy were doing. So. Yeah. Um, so I'm sort of interested in Peloton, and, uh, and I'll tell you another reason why. We both uh, follow Howard Lindzen on on StockTwits, the creator of StockTwits. Um, yes. He's also on Twitter, and he uh, he's an avid road biker. So he is out there hitting the asphalt a lot, but he also loves his Peloton, and he's an investor in the stock because he sees it building this this ecosystem of uh, fitness and apps and sort sort of that sort of thing that will that's sort of a sustainable brand for their growth. Yeah, Peloton is kind of interesting to me because uh, we all just call it Peloton, but its actual name is Peloton Interactive. Okay, and that kind of indicates to me that they want that interactive in the name because uh-huh. it's more than just that you know bike that they sell. They do have the popular app that has like thousands of workouts on it and they're not all done on the bike. So I know people who are subscribers to the Peloton app 
that do not have a bike because they just love the workouts on there, whether or not it's yoga or even just a walking type of workout or, you know, an at-home mat workout or Pilates, any of that, then you can also do all of that on the Peloton app. And that whole area, the wellness area is what I like to call it, is a big market. And if they're making some, you know, inroads in that area, then I I might be interested in them too. Here. Yeah. Hey, and you know, we're just uh, we just got all the SEC 13 Fs last week, so it's kind of fun to see who was buying and selling. One yeah. of my favorite fund managers, uh, Dan Loeb of Third Point. Uh, was a buyer of Peloton Interactive. He bought 600,000 shares in Q2. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a he's a smart guy. He's a he's sort of a value quant, um, you know, derivatives guy. He's not, you know, he's very, um, he's pretty precise in the stuff he does. So th- this is interesting to see him uh, put some money down there. Yeah, it is still trading a little bit pricey on just a PE level for me as a value investor. It's trading about 190 times its forward earnings right here. But we're about to get earnings report again. So we'll kind of see what's happening and what they're seeing going forward. That'll be more interesting to me. And since you mentioned that valuation metric, uh, PE, which you you have to use, it's, it's part of your model for your value investor portfolio, I will just say that so much of what's going on in software um, ignores PE. You know, hey. it's not it's not about profits. They just want to see the revenue growth. Right. So it's, it's basically the rule of 40. If you can get some kind of, if you can get a combination of revenue growth and, and margins that get you over 40%, then the stock is investable. So, you know, you could have no free cash flow margins and 50% revenue growth and the big investors are going to buy it based on, you know, just that revenue growth, just that rule of 40 uh, being in the, you know, in the mid double digits. Okay. That's something to keep in mind. Definitely a lot of different ways you could play value or, um, you know, things that are on sale these days. And speaking of on sale, We've already done a podcast on Chinese stocks after those have been selling off, but we did mention them on the January 6th uh, podcast. And we specifically talked about BABA because you had owned Alibaba in one of your portfolios, but you had been selling some of it in January. And now you look like a genius. Well, I mean, I, I did say the right thing at the time. And and it was sort of, I was coming around to, to your thinking you you ran away from Chinese stocks a couple of years ago when yeah. the government took action against Tencent. Um, yeah. And I thought, well, Baba is, uh, you know, Baba will be fine. But but in January, I was talking about, listen, the the Communist Party just came in and told them you can't do the ant IPO and the ant IPO. That was going to be like the, you know, the 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 PayPal of China, uh, basically. And the government just stepped in and said, no, you're not doing that IPO. And it was like, whoa, uh, you know, and there was kind of a slap in the face to Jack Ma. And I just said at the time, you you could never fight the government or regulation. It's just a, it's just a, you know, it 
it can just tear the foundation out from underneath an industry or an investment. Um, so I sold some and then I was looking to redeploy, see what happened. And I, then I was buying again around 200 in BABA. And then the wheels started to really fall off this summer. They, they had this IPO for this company called, uh, is it Didi? Yes. Yeah. So Didi is, uh, does this IPO and I guess they did it without permission from <laughs> the from the powers that be in China, which is kind of a no-no. <laughs> and basically the thing IPOs at let's say 14 bucks, it's now trading for eight because the Chinese government said, you know, uh, no, no, you, uh, I think it's an app involved with autonomous driving. So it could track a lot of people's data. And the right. big thing was that is that the communist party didn't want anybody in outside of China having access to Chinese consumer data for, for one. And they didn't like the fact that all these companies are IPOing in, you know, New York and making a few people rich. You've been talking about this for, for a while about the, it's sort of the, the, the revolution against the billionaires. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it just, it, it's, it made these companies uninvestable when, when you realized th they didn't care if they cut the market cap in half of any of these companies. They didn't care if they cost investors money in Baba or Baidu or DD or JD um, or any of these. They just didn't care. And when when they when you can see that they don't care about hundreds of billions of dollars just evaporating because they just want power and control. Boy, that's that that's the red flag to really get out. So I finally uh, sold the last of my Baba and Baidu at like 12% losses in July once I finally saw the writing on the wall. <laughs> what about people who are still in them now? Should they stay in because the sell-off has been so extreme? Should they dollar cost average? Should they just get out? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it, again, it, this if, depends on your, if, you know, somebody, a lot of things. If somebody went into this storm, you know, and was willing to sort of uh, ride out the uncertainty, then they probably, you know, are not too shaken now because they're they were thinking that it's a long term thing anyway. Like like the, the reason I want to own Baba is because this is to me, it is the Amazon of China um, and it has access to the largest middle class in the world. You're talking about a middle class of arguably 600 million people. And so if you want access to that market, you know, Baba was one of the ways to do it. Yeah. Um, so if if you are willing to ride it out for five or 10 years, you know, you'll you'll probably do great. Um, if for anybody who just got in for a trade and like they were buying at, you know, 170, 180, um, you know, you're you you have no idea how low this could go. I mean, I mean, uh, what was the what was the company that um, that they basically wrecked and took private? Oh, Kihu, Kihu 360. Remember them? That's right. Kihu 360 was sort of yeah. a social media company. I owned it a couple of times and they and the Chinese somehow s spread rumors to take the stock down. They basically cut it in half and then took it private and yeah. then IPO it two months later and made a bunch of people rich within China. So yeah. these, you know, when they're willing, when they're willing to go to these sort of mobster uh, <laughs> measures, then, then the, the short term is very cloudy. So 
have you sold other than Nvidia? Have you sold anything else? You know, in in August here on this weakness that we're seeing in the overall market. I did. I, I took a little profits in Square. Okay. And I and I looked smart there because I was just looking at the chart and it was like um, we'd made new highs. So once again, my thesis was we we were just every time it dipped to 200, we wanted to be buyers. So we make new highs above 280, but you can tell by looking at the chart, there was some big sellers up there, 280, 285. So I, so I was looking at the market going, I was thinking the market would correct into September. We'd have some weakness. Yeah. So that, you know what? So I sold some at 276 and I said, let's be buyers, you know, 250, 260. Well, <laughs> well, we, th that transpired in, a, in about 10 days, but you, you know, you had to be quick if you wanted to buy any at 255 because now it's back up to 270. Wow. <laughs> so, I, so at least I, I didn't sell all my square. But again, I was trying to be cute on the timing thing. And that's yeah. that's the thing, you know, big investors. I mean, when you think about what an institutional investor does, you know, money comes in. He only has to answer to his clients once a quarter and they have to buy with that money. You know, they can't sit in 20 percent cash and they don't really have to sell. So you know, a lot of times they're not going to play around um, for, you know, 10, 20 percent gains when when the upside could be explosive and they might miss it. Yeah. And uh, I think I think Square will go Square will go to 350 in the next uh, in the next year. I think we'll see 350. So I definitely want to build my position back up when I get a chance. Given that we've had this kind of quick shift back to the bulls here and it's not quite september yet does this change your theory about the weakness heading into september well i think it's a i think it's still a pretty high risk okay. um it, and, and i mean it's seasonal and you know we're looking at um uh, unemployment benefits expiring in two weeks here. Right. Um, and we don't know really how things are going to unfold with the new Delta variants of, of the coronavirus. So I think there's enough uncertainty and, and, and we've run so hard and valuations are so stretched. That's usually when you get a sneaky little five to 10% correction out of nowhere. Right. I'm trying to time that though is, is the tricky right. part. You know, I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at Shopify. Uh, we had some nice trades in Shopify this year and I wanted to get back in and it was, things were just setting up perfect. Um, by the end of last week, stock was back down to 1450. And I'm like, this is gonna be great. We're gonna dip next week. I'm gonna get to buy more Shopify under 1400. And you know, today it shoots back up to 1550. <laughs> so. Yeah, I I saw those energy stocks rolling over because I owned a couple of them in my value investor and I owned one in the insider trader and I had to sell all of them because we were not just at 10% corrections on a couple of them. We were at 20% the bear market. And usually when energy has, you know, a big correction like that, it, it somewhat signals that there could be one coming in the overall market, but so far, that's rebounded too off of those lows and is now kind of back to being not completely back to break even, but it's 
it's looking a little more bullish. Now, I did see um, from Ryan Dietrich at LPL Financial, he's on Twitter and he's always posting these interesting stats. And he said that we've had nine highs, new highs in the S&P 500 here in August. And that's the most in August since 1929 when there were 11. Wow. That, that year, even more than like the boom years of the 90s, because as you just mentioned, August is usually the slow month. It's usually when everybody's at the beach and then they're getting in one last vacation before the kids go back to school and it's kind of quiet. Nobody's really paying attention. So it's rare to get like a rallies like this where you keep hitting these new highs. So is is this is it different this time? <laughs> is, is something else going on? Well, uh, you know, when we talk about long term investing, and, and why people put their money in the market and keep it in the market and hold on to stocks for years and years. You know, what are those long-term drivers? It's the, you've got an, an economy that's growing, you know, so the U.S. economy isn't perfect by any means, but it's got some pretty steady growth and it's got a huge backstop of monetary policy, which is certainly a tailwind. Um, you know, and then money just pouring in, right? The, the, there's, you know, just trillions is earmarked for stocks. You know, the the wealthy have money and then where do they put it? They put it, you know, they give it to their money manager and who has to buy stocks. And then you've got the technology innovation. So like all these things come together and then demographics, right? I would say, I would say technology innovation is, is more important than demographics, but demographics are clearly, you know, part of your economic growth too. Um, you did a big thesis last year about um, basically the coming housing boom. And I'm all on board with that once I looked at the at the generational things that that you were gonna get. I mean, we're already <laughs> we're already looking at the sort of this mini housing bubble, but I but when you and I talked about it last year, it was more that uh, you know, demographically speaking, for the next 10 years, we're gonna see um, you know, just uh, we're gonna see the this generation, millennials buying houses, settling down, you know. Uh, cars, home improvements, schools, hospitals, you know, and everything that goes with that. And that's all great for the economy long term. Yeah. Uh, but the technology aspects um, that create new industries and disrupt old industries, you know, investors are really tuned to this. So you have trillions of dollars sitting at some, you know, on the sidelines waiting for either a correction or the next move higher. And the safe bet has been the next move higher. So if you sit in cash, you really miss, you know, every, all the tailwinds that are, that push stocks higher. And are we in a bubble? I mean, when you look at things trading 20 times sales, like, you know, Nvidia was trading 20 times sales, seems kind of bubbly, but you know, that's what, that's what the software component of the market does. It trades at 20 to 30 times sales and more, maybe 40 times sales. And so, you know, I think investors have have learned that you better err on the side of being bullish because there's really nothing that can take this market down. What happened with coronavirus, what I call the, the corona crash, was exactly that. It was just a panic that, oh my gosh, we're shutting down the economy, everybody stay home. Yeah, that does seem really bad, but it got overdone 
and you know, and that's where some great buying opportunities were. And there's really nothing like that on the horizon to scare the market. Nothing about you know tax policy or capital gains. Um, I don't even think that a, a a small coronavirus shutdown could dent this market right now more than 10%. So any final advice about when to sell? Because it is among the hardest things I feel for investors. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would just go back to the, the thing we did in January. I talked about yeah. um, how people make buying decisions. When people make decisions to buy a stock, they're usually looking for three, four, five things to line up, you know, in terms of valuation or industry or innovation or, um, you know, these kinds of things. So if you have a decision matrix that gives you the thumbs up on a buy and, and then you kind of have a, an objective in mind for that, that stock, that industry and your time frame, you, I think you should also have a decision matrix about selling. And, and most of the prof, uh, professionals do. When I say professionals, I mean, big institutions like a Bailey Gifford, they're not just sitting around flipping a coin or looking out the window and saying, ah, what should I do? They, they've already built models to tell them, you know, when something has moved, you know, way beyond what, you know, where they would start new positions or what they were willing to pay. And then maybe they just reevaluate. They're like, okay, what is actually happening in this industry? What, uh, what is the total addressable market of software analytics? Um, or electric vehicles um and then you know they get they dig into it so have a matrix to decide when to sell too and the, the thing i mentioned earlier was you you evolve with the investment because once you're in it then you're paying more attention to that industry and that company you know you're on the conference calls i mean look at you with like some of your favorite companies like uh, Restoration Hardware or some of the home builders, you know, you're on those conference calls quarter after quarter, you're learning more about the company and that gives you conviction that other investors don't have. So that's sort of your edge is that while people are, are like, there could be a headline on CNBC about why they're selling the home builders or why they're selling Restoration Hardware. And you're like, oh, that doesn't faze me at all because I already knew, you know, XYZ from listening to the last six conference calls, right? right? Right. Or even like Pinterest, they warned in the conference calls ahead of the, the latest one that everybody finally listened to the warning and saw the warning in the numbers, the numbers dropping. They warned on those conference calls ahead of time that the numbers, you know, likely wouldn't stay elevated and that they were going to see a pullback. They never gave any guidance because of the ongoing pandemic and the uncertainty, uncertainty, um, you know, going into it. So they, they just said, we're not giving any guidance, but we warn you that we don't see it staying this strong, you know, in, in a reopening type of scenario, which we got. So yeah, if anybody listened to those conference calls, they would have known already. So yeah. It's a good, good uh, little key there. Okay, so have a plan and follow your plan. Know your goals. Listen to those conference calls, and you will feel better at least. Um, okay, let me go. And you'll over. get you'll get smarter too as you do more research, right? Sure, for sure. Yes, it, that makes you feel better too. I feel. <laughs> um, 
Okay, we're, I'm going to cover a whole bunch of the tickers that we did on this episode. There are a lot, as always. So I briefly mentioned Dick Sporting Good. They they're almost doubled their stock this year. DKS, Burlington Stores, B-U-R-L, Alphabet, of course, G-O-O-G-L. We talked briefly about Amazon, A-M-Z-N, NVIDIA, of course, N-V-D-A. Then we talked about Tesla, T-S-L-A, Alibaba, B-A-B-A, Chewy.com, again, C-H-W-Y, Peloton, P-T-O-N, Zoom, Z-M, Square came up, S-Q-D-D is the China IPO, D-I-D-I, Shopify was mentioned as well. S-H-O-P. I think that covers most of the main ones yeah. we discussed. Uh, but this is a good good discussion yet again and good to look back on what we thought was happening in January. Now here we are eight months later, well into the reopen now on the economy. And um, a lot of what we thought may may hold did did happen. And so this is always good to revisit these kinds of issues, especially when so many people have these big winner stocks and everything's trading at the new highs. So we'll regroup probably maybe back again in 2022 and see what's going on then. So you want to be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of these podcasts. And then you won't have to tweet at me and ask me like, when are you going to talk about selling stocks? Because you'll be listening in. And you can get us everywhere you can get podcasts. We're on Apple, we're on on Spotify, we're on Amazon Music, we're on SoundCloud. Get us at all the podcast platforms. And I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.